Hello, everyone. It's Ron Stiver. Pleased to be with you with our most recent podcast. And today I'm incredibly pleased to have with me my good friend, Dr. Michelle Saysana. We're going to learn about Dr. Saysana's career here at IU Health. She serves multiple roles within the system. She's a practicing hospitalist at Riley. She heads our systems quality and safety efforts. And then most recently, uh, we recruited Michelle to serve as chief medical officer for virtual care. So Michelle, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Ron, for having me. So one of the things we typically do in these podcasts, kind of an icebreaker, if you will, is ask, you know, when you're around 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? So what, what, what's the answer <laughs> what for you? What was it? Yeah. So I wanted to be lots of different things. I wanted to be um, a teacher. I wanted to be a doctor. And I wanted to be a judge for some reason. And my parents told me that I couldn't do them all. So I had to pick something. So, so I picked the doctor thing. Although, yeah, you do some teaching. I do teaching. Yeah, I do. I actually do both. I don't really practice as a judge at all, though. (laughs) Maybe at home. (laughs) Maybe at home, yes. Uh, Well, talk about your interest in medicine. What, um, I mean, I I know you, and I mean, you talk about purpose and putting the patient first. That always comes through. So clearly there was some calling Mm -hmm. for you, drew you to medicine. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting. There was nobody in medicine in my family, so my parents weren't in medicine and none of our, um, my extended family. But I was always drawn to science, so I loved science as a kid and math. And then, but I was actually incredibly scared of going to the doctor. I was afraid, I I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but I was always afraid of it when I was little, especially probably when I was 10. And so as I got older, science was still very interesting and more about how the body worked. And then how could I put that together with helping people? And so that's what drew me to medicine. And originally I thought that because I didn't really know what medicine was, I thought I was going to be sort of like a a local family doctor and I got drawn into that and then really decided that I liked kids the most and so ended up in pediatrics and and as you know I practiced for a while as a pediatrician on the east side of Indianapolis and then was drawn back here to be able to teach and do other things. We're lucky to have you too and so I want to talk a lot about virtual care too but I I mean you you have a really critical role though um, related to our systems quality Mm -hmm. and safety efforts. Talk a little bit about that role and where we're focusing there. Yes, so I've been in that role for now almost three years. Um, We have um, really done some amazing things in the prior to me being in that role and now more so. And so the focus has really been on how can we um, structure quality and safety across all of the regions and then bring in um, also not just our hospitals but our ambulatory services because we provide by far more ambulatory care than we actually do inpatient care. So we really, over the last few years, worked, probably the last five to 10 years, really worked on how to decrease harm in hospitals. So I've had a real focus on hospital-acquired infections because we knew that if when we um, actually surveyed our, our clinical leaders, we said, what is it you would not want to happen to you or your loved one if they came in the hospital? And those were at the top of the list. Spent a lot of time focusing on how do we reduce um, hospital-acquired infections, central line-associated blood bloodstream infections, C. diff, um, catheter-associated urinary tract infections, and then added um, mortality in the last two years to that to say, how do we reduce that? How do we make sure we're um, progressing and, and saving as many people's lives as we can, as well as 
providing, as you and I have talked about it, really good end of life care because people are going to die, but how do we let them die with dignity? How do we make sure that they and their families have services like palliative care and hospice in place to be able to take care of them? But then on the other side of that, prevention is around the work we've done this last year and really in the last few months that I'm really proud of is sepsis. How do we make sure we get antibiotics in, in patients when they arrive to the hospital. So quickly, right? Quickly, right? Within three hours of you presenting to the hospital. And so that's been really fun work to see how we focused on something and we could do that. But then the other side of it, I think, is all the work that we've done in system clinical services and, and with our physician groups around population health. So how do we make sure that people get the screenings they need, they get preventive care, so that ultimately they actually may not have to come to the hospital and we can actually keep them healthy? Because when I think about what I always say to medical students and residents and new physicians, what I think about quality and safety and the work we do is really to get you back to doing what you did before you got sick. So it should be all about how do we keep people at work and at school and at home doing the things they love to do so that they can manage their chronic disease and and be able to take care of themselves so that they in fact don't need us. I've been, from my vantage point, just great to see the progress we've, we've made under your leadership. I mean, first in those hospital-centric areas, mm-hmm. but then you really lead us to have a much more expansive view mm-hmm. of quality, right? Which right. includes at times if we can avoid that hospitalization right. or take care of someone in mm-hmm. the home or what have right. you. Right. Let's fast forward. Let's fast forward to, <laughs> to March of this past year. <laughs> right. right? Uh, pretty intense times. And so within hours, literally within hours of Indiana's first diagnosis of COVID-19, you became medical director of our COVID-19 screening clinic. Mm-hmm. Stood up, I mean, pretty much overnight. Since then, I think over 40,000 patients right. screened. Go back and talk to us about that experience. <laughs> I think, you know, it all started from a phone call. Ian McDaniel called me up and said, because I actually have regulatory in my purview, and he said, you know, Michelle, it's, it was Friday afternoon, um, and he said, I we want to stand up this coronavirus screening clinic and virtually and how can we do that and would you make sure he said because you've taught me well I've got to make sure there's not a regulatory implication and we talked through it I didn't think there was one and and I said I think I think you're you're on the right track. It's the right thing to do. We'll figure it out. I'll, I'll make sure I make some phone calls. And then he said he needed a physician to be the point person. He said, I need somebody that I can just, you know, go to. We're going to have a lot of things that are going to change. We thought pretty fast. And I actually said to him, okay, well, I'll, I'll find you somebody for that. He said, no, that's not why I called you. <laughs> I called you because I wanted you to do it. And I said, like I've done many times in my life, I said yes, because I thought, well, this sounds like a really great opportunity. I didn't really think through what it probably really meant, but I knew it was a good team to work with, and I and and it was something that I was committed to doing so that we could keep people potentially out of our ERs, right? And and if we could do that, and we could do something to mitigate the spread, that was I was all I was all in, and so we did. And and um, the team, I can't take much credit for it. The team did everything, and and you're right. We stood up overnight. We worked hard. We continue to work hard. Um, But when you think about the number of patients we've screened that our team members and the community, it's amazing the service we've offered. And when you ask other people, even around the country, I I don't think anybody's done anything like that. I don't think we knew we could do it. I think the awesome thing was we said, we've got a group of people who are committed and went and did it. And You know, there are a few of any things that I've gotten more just unsolicited mm-hmm. thanks, you know, uh, notes of gratitude. I mean, Dan Evans, our former CEO, right. 
you know, he emailed me saying, hey, I want you to know how proud of what you guys are doing with it. Because it was really a community resource. It was, we, right. we were seeing, you know, anyone through that screening clinic, civic leaders mm-hmm. saying, hey, thanks for getting this thing established and going too. And I think we did it so quickly that everyone just saw that as the go-to resource. And it's evolved over time too. So yes. maybe talk about that evolution, including up to, you know, the partnerships we have with some universities mm-hmm. as well now. Yeah, it actually evolved really quickly. It, um, you know, it, we realized in a fairly short amount of time that we were going to have to, we started up for community, but we were going to have to figure out how to deal with our team members too, right? And that was going to be as important to, to be able to guide them and how did we have a, sort of a central way to do that. And then at that same time, that's when IU Health stood up there, we stood up our own testing. So we wanted to make sure we had a way to quickly get team members tested who needed to be tested, as well as offer a pathway for that for the community through our you know on-demand visits as well so that quickly evolved and then we started getting phone calls I would say probably in May about universities thinking oh my goodness this isn't gone away and we're gonna have to figure out how we could do something like this and I, I think about the universities and even the school systems today that it must be like March was for us, yeah. for them. Like I think, I think that's what where they're at right now, and that's why you're seeing some of the, the things play out in some of the schools because we had to do all that work very quickly, and the hub was really integral in that. And now, you know, now we have um, we support both IU and Ball State and their students returning and and um, doing testing for them as well for their symptomatic students and and faculty and staff for that matter. I think that gives them some reassurance that there's a way to have students and faculty and staff screened and get testing as quickly as they can so that they can figure out how to deal with that. Because it has to be challenging when you all of a sudden bring 30,000 people, if you're thinking about Bloomington, back. And, you know, that's a significant increase in the population in Bloomington. And what are you going to do to keep those people safe, knowing that, you know, a large chunk of them are 18 to 24 years old? (laughs) So, and... Some may have never been away from home before. <laughs> so so I do think it offers uh, a lot of reassurance to families, which as a pediatrician is really important to me and just sort of extension of what we've done. Yeah, it's, it was, I, won't, I won't say a capstone because we're still evolving, but right. just seeing the evolution of that clinic and then the Twistle remote right, monitoring right. pathways and the mm-hmm, testing mm-hmm. of how you and the team really kind of combine those things together to a really seamless type of program for right. universities and others to be able to access. To. Right. I would agree. And I don't think, Ron, I've ever seen a time where we quickly put pieces together. We had pieces and parts that were, were sort of doing the same thing, but we put them together really fast. There may have been a little delay up front, but not in in what I, pre, I, pre-COVID IU health time would have, would have said there was a delay. And we said, look, we have this whole thing we can give you. We can not only screen you, but now if you're worried or you're symptomatic, we'll keep you on this, on, like you mentioned, Twistle, and check in with you so that then there's a, a, you know, a way that you still feel connected to us and you don't feel like, I got my test, I'm done, but you can still stay connected and there's somebody checking on you. And I think that offers a sense of assurance too. But but what I'm most proud of is that those teams got together and did that really fast. I don't think we would have ever thought we could do that. But I think the difference is COVID gave us that sense of urgency and everybody just sort of put aside everything else and said, yep, we're going to go after it and we're going to do it. So you know, it's interesting because we have the screening clinic set up as I mentioned, 40,000 plus visits through there. 
at the same time in parallel, we begin rescheduling electives at that right. time preserve PPE. Right. But then what did that do? That also virtual care elsewhere really began to take right. off and I think just push us years mm-hmm. ahead as, as providers begin to adopt those tools and really gave a big boost where the, our, our clinicians were saying, hey, give us the tools we wanna, and then we begin to seeing great patient experience. And so, you know, I, from my perspective, I know from David's, David Kogan's and Ian's, we said, you know what, this, this is really gonna go even faster. And mm-hmm. we saw what having a person like you mm-hmm. involved in that clinic. And so we said, you know, we need to create this position. We have great medical directors over, you know, all of our virtual care services. But who is that senior physician who's going to kind of look at this mm-hmm. holistically across and make sure that we're we're driving this in the appropriate fashion and delivering high quality care, but in a more accessible accessible form? And so I I joke with people that we part recruited, part drafted you into the role, <laughs> into that CMO of um, IU Health Centralized Virtual Care. But you're, you're shaping the role. What are your thoughts about the role? What 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 got you to say you know to the part that we're recruiting? What got you to say yes? And what do you what do you see in some of the future? You know, I think what got me to say yes was this team and you. I, I would say, honestly, when whenever I have an opportunity to do something else, I always think about how can it impact people for the greater good, right? And this, and, and the phenomenal thing about this is we're sort of designing it as we go. So what better opportunity to be involved in something that we get to create not only and and sort of set the standards for how this can look plus to know that you have this team that just fully supports each other in this and and has a lot of fun doing it like we want to do it we want to you know we come to work we're excited for the right um, reasons for the right reasons yes and it's it's great and so you look at the values it lives the value that this lives the values in so many different ways and so it was um I don't think you had to recruit too hard. I was I was willing to do it, um, and so it was it was it's just been a lot of fun. But I think it also marries sort of what I already do uh, with quality and safety, right? Because what's really important here is this is something we have not done on this kind of scale across the country, except in a few isolated cases, right? There's a few places that they have done it, but not to this degree and to touch the whole state potentially. So how do you actually set the quality standards for that? And what it, what, it, what are they? And what is, is that have to be a difference between in-person care or, or not? And so that's the part that really excites me too, is we get to lay that foundation. And I think so many times at IU Health, and not, and I don't mean this um, in a bad way, but we've taken what great work somebody else has done and we've brought it here, right? right. We actually have the potential w- with this to develop the great work and people come here and say, hey, IU Health, what did you do? And we've already seen that with the virtual screening hub. Like Ian and I have done some um, presentations virtually. And it's been really fascinating to just finally feel like you're the ones who have done something that people are like, hey. Yeah, national audiences, right? <laughs> right. I know Scottsdale right. Institute you were right. asked to present right. with mm-hmm. uh, systems from around the country listening right. in. Right, and- yep. And so that's been really cool to see that. And you're right. I do like that, and I think it's important to emphasize because you're 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 going to continue to lead our system safety mm-hmm. and quality efforts, but also take this on. And I do think there's a strong connection there too, and right. having you over both of those makes a lot of sense. As we think about virtual care and some of our hubs moving forward, I mean, what what can you share as far as some 
future services or that we're working on and developing will begin to offer to patients. So I think COVID did a great service to us for hospital in the home, right? Yeah. We had started talking about that previously. And I think there are many of us, even myself, a little skeptical about that. And then fast forward to COVID and here we are. And now we're like, well, we can do that. We'll go ahead. And and so I think now what we've done is narrow down the diagnoses for hospital in the home. I think that's going to just go crazy once we get going with that in a really good way um, and be able to that that has great impacts for our, our hospitals in terms of reducing length of stay and potential readmissions and all kinds of things. The other work I'm really excited about because it really um, dovetails well with mortality is palliative care. So how do we um, provide palliative care services all across all of our regions, especially in some of our, our smaller hospitals where it would just, it's never going to be feasible to recruit a palliative care doc um, to some of our regions in some of the smaller s- spots, but we've got to be able to offer that, right? So I think those are two great ones. I think also the work we're doing in terms of a, uh, the HCC and the, yes. the visits, right? You want to kind of explain that, the home wellness yeah, visits? Yeah, the home wellness visits. So we have lots of patients, you know, our, our um, Medicare patients that are at-risk patients that we need to see every year for their annual Medicare a wellness visit and some of them have real challenges on how they're going to get to see us so now we're going to send a nurse out to their house to get them on the technology so that they can then have a virtual visit with our app and so what a cool way because number one we help that that person get set up with the technology and overcome some of the technology barriers in that population of patients that we know may have um, challenges with that. But number two, we get somebody in the home to yeah. see what's going on. Um, Check for fall risk, right, social isolation. Right. Make sure their medications, they know their medications, all those things that we never get to do when you come in the office. We, we, you only tell us and we don't have that much time. And, and it really is truly, once you walk in somebody's home, you can really see either good or bad how things are going and I think that can be tremendously beneficial as you mentioned too sometimes these people aren't making into the office and so I said hey you you, we can't work to to control their diabetes if we don't know they have it right. or their high blood right. pressure and so right. forth. So be able to get in there and do those mm-hmm. screenings, I think, is right. back to that broader definition of mm-hmm. quality. Right, and then be able to, now if we get them set up with the technology, then that makes them maybe more likely to use virtual care for other, for other visits that they may have not been willing to do because they didn't know what to do or didn't know how to use it. And so I think that's really a benefit to that that we'll see even beyond just the annual wellness visit itself there. I mean, I think that's a, those are probably a few I'd highlight too. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about maybe um, you know overnight hospitalist coverage right. for right. critical access mm-hmm. hospitals. I know you, I, uh, Dr. Ann Gilbert, who's been with me mm-hmm. on a podcast before as we think about taking our behavioral health hub and really expanding that right. across primary care. I mean, just so many opportunities. Oh, definitely. And such great need here in Indiana. If we, if we want to make Indiana the healthiest state in the nation, we've got to use virtual care as a piece of that um, because we there's just no way we'll get there one-on-one in-person visit uh, you know it won't work especially if you think about behavioral health too we just need that more than anything probably of all these programs and, I mean to me you tell me I mean it feels like again our providers are really you know they, they were accustomed to certain workflows mm-hmm. but with COVID they begin to embrace these new tools and it feels like we may have hit a tipping point there in terms of provider adoption is that is that your sense I think so I think what we what COVID gave us the benefit to overcome was the the patient perception and the provider perception because I think there was a lot of perception on behalf of us as providers saying and physicians saying well the patients won't like it 
they won't be able to and they won't be able to do it right and um and we need to it takes this you know two hours or three hours of orientation for you to be able to do it well fast forward we all did it somehow um now does it is it perfect for everyone probably not and we certainly know there there need to be in-person visits but i think it got us over that big hump and i think nationally people have experienced that that it's it's gotten it over the, the hump of we can do this um, now let's figure out how we do it now we can go back we have a little bit of time to go back and do it and i think you are seeing because the patients adopted it then um, providers are much more willing to adopt it as well i think it's incredibly exciting an exciting body of work and i and i really mean this we are just incredibly fortunate to have you helping lead the way on this too and, and while the patients may not know who dr says on it they are incredibly fortunate to have Thanks. you helping lead the way on this too because i i, I and again the connection with quality and access mm-hmm. I think this is just so instrumental. So thank you um, for your leadership. Thanks for spending some time yeah. with us today, too. And so uh, we'll have to have you back, too, <laughs> because, because it's such a fast-moving it is. environment it is. that I think we'll be doing even more things here in the near future. So I appreciate everyone taking time out there to, to listen to the conversation with Dr. Saison and I. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for all the great work that you're doing out there. If you have ideas for me on future podcasts, please feel free to email me rstiver at iuhealth.org and I will look forward to connecting with you soon at our next podcast.